Well, hi, Dennis. I really appreciate you joining me to chat a little bit about marketing today. Hi, Martin. It's good to be here. Thanks. So, I, I mean, I think for many, uh, well, I know that for many of us in the uh, university press world, uh, Melville House holds like this kind of um, special place. And so uh, getting a chance to chat to you um, about what we do in a more general sense, book marketing uh, and, and book publishing, I think is a really, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of us who are just fascinated to hear what you say. So with that in mind, um, you know, what's kind of like your big picture philosophy about um, marketing and selling the books that Melville um, publishes, but perhaps more generally as well? Well, you know, I don't really have a big picture concept of it because I think um, you really have to invent a program for each book. You know, when we when we started the company, um, we 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 didn't know anything about publishing when we started the company. That was in two thousand and one. But what we quickly what I what I did know about publicity and marketing, I knew from having been a book critic, and I knew what publishers sent to me and kind of how that worked, and that's what we emulated. And you know, in those days, you did the same thing for every book, which was not so much marketing as as pretty much total publicity. You had, a, you had a list of critics and um, producers and you just sent them a galley with a press release in it. And then you called them and that's what you did for every book. Yeah. And now it's not like that at all. Now you have to really sit down with your team and uh, invent something for, for each book. And it's much more about marketing, especially for a small publisher like us. It's, it's much more about marketing. Um, than ever before, uh, you know there is there is still uh, publicity is still absolutely key. Nothing gets nothing beats getting a you know a Times review or on NPR. Um, but we have found that um, our marketing team can make up for uh, the size of the company. In effect, hmm. um, the um, you know the problem of 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 everybody that isn't a big five publisher. Uh, our problem in the world is that we have to survive in a marketplace that is called uh, c controlled by giants. Yeah. Whether it's the giant retailers or the giant publishers. So true. And and as well the giant media. Um, and. You know, so we are doing essentially. We are all Ginger Rogers doing what Fred. There did, but backwards and in high heels. <laughs> and I think the, the new opportunities in marketing and especially in social media um, have allowed us to play in that marketplace. And the, the caveat being that you have to be incredibly creative and instantly responsive. Right. And so we have proven to be pretty good at that. We've been oriented around that for a long time. Um, and, you know, we just kind of had some advantages in that area because, well, you know, the company was, was born in a book blog, basically. It was, was uh, came out of the Moby Lives blog. And um, so we've always kind of had uh, the internet as an alternative uh, aspect of the marketplace in mind. Right. And, um, and as we've assembled uh, 
a staff. They all come in with different experiences of that, and we try to capitalize on it across the staff. We don't just have like one person that does social media. Mm -hmm. um, we all do it. We all do it, and we all do different parts of it. You know, uh, I'm on Twitter a lot. Our one of our publicists is on Instagram a lot, uh, and so forth. We we really share it, um, and that's been very helpful too. So, you know, marketing, um, marketing has really been the thing that allowed us to, I think, stay in business in this marketplace that really seems to want a different kind of book. Yeah, that's fascinating. Some of the things you just yeah. mentioned there, just fascinating. You know, you, I, I want to come back to two things. One, um, hiring, because you mentioned your staff. But before we do, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just really intrigued because Melville, you guys developed such a voice, right, across all of your marketing. Um, and, and maybe that is because you were thinking the whole time about how you, as you put it, survive in a world of giants. But it's a really special and different kind of uh, book publisher voice. So is there a, a theory, a philosophy, an idea behind it or <laughs> evolved and became what it is? Uh, uh, that's very, it's very nice to hear all that. It, it means my evil plan is working. <laughs> um, the voice that, you know, it's just, I, it, it all came out of the blog, out of the Moby Lips blog, which was, um, you know, which was just me mm -hmm. and for, for, for a few years before the company existed. And it was just the attitude I had on the blog. Um, I really, was an outsider uh, covering what I thought were, were stories or angles about publishing that, that the industry, you couldn't see anywhere else, but you know, if you would talk to people in the industry, you would hear these things, but it was never something you read about in the media, that kind of attitude. I was very inspired by a few blogs in other areas that were kind of doing that. There was a blog called uh, Media Gossip, which was run by a guy named Jim Romanesco. He's still at it, it's a much different thing now. Um, but that was the blog about uh, media gossip. What are they saying at the water cooler in the New York Times and, uh, and the Topeka Journal and, and things like that? And I wanted to take that idea and impose it over publishing because all my friends were writers. And they all talked about the uh, industry in ways that I never thought, I, that I never saw anywhere else. So, mm -hmm. for example, they were always complaining about, you know, the New York circle of uh, a uh, New Yorker writer writes a book that gets published by Random House and reviewed by New York Times. Right. They were, you know, that, that, that unholy trilogy there. <laughs> and they, they were, um, you know, they would talk about that. So I, I started covering stories that way in my newspaper column, which then became the blog. And it worked really well. You know, it was, depending on who you talk to, it was the, the first blog. Um, and it, it really caught on very fast. And I just kept the attitude up, you know, the kind of snarky attitude. <laughs> and um, when the company started, uh, you know, I had the blog going off and on and then started making the staff do it. And it's been kind of a miracle that they have maintained that attitude. I think, I think they just liked it. And it was one thing maybe that attracted them to apply. To, to work in Melville House. Yeah. 
Do you um, look for that you know, in, in them when you're, when you're looking for, for, to hire people? Do you look for a little bit of that, a little bit of that snarkiness, a little bit of that attitude that, that mirrors it? Or is it something that they just you know, buy into as they become part of the Melville House team, do you think? Well, the, the, the company is so collaborative. We all work so closely together and there are so many brainstorming sessions and, uh, and people kind of working beyond their particular expertise and um, that, yes, I look for it very hard in job interviews. We ask for writing samples. You know, it's man- everybody here that works here has to write for the blog. That's mandatory. So we try to get a sense of how they would be on that. Uh, we look at the social media you have to get the attitude. I mean, the trick now that it is the voice of a company um, is how do you maintain that kind of uh, attitude uh, and still sell books? You know, how do you use your, uh, your, your social media in particular? How do you use it to, uh, to sell your books or to uh, discuss the content of your books mm-hmm. without sounding like a shell? You just don't want to sound like a shell. And I think that's something that people seem to really appreciate about our social media. And that makes me really happy um, because we really are sincere in what we're saying, you know, um, and we, we get a lot of credit for that. So um, it's, it, it works, it works on our behalf. A lot of people, uh, you know, I became a very prominent Amazon critic because I would write on, on, on the blog about Amazon and say things that no publisher would say because they're all too scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was nerve-wracking, but there was a definite upside to it in that people appreciated that. Yeah. Um, so, so the attitude, yeah, it is a company attitude. It is very important. It's, it seems amazing to me that the staff just kind of picks it up and, and gets it and runs with it. Um, but uh, it's working for us. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I think, like I said, to start out with, I think a lot of us on the university press side just really look up to it. So thank you and keep doing it. Um, <laughs> thank you. So nice to hear. in terms of keeping doing it, um, you know, looking to the future, uh, you know, put, pulling out the, the Dennis Johnson crystal ball, um, what excites you you know, sticking on the marketing side of, of our industry, but what excites you about the future? Like, what can you see maybe developing, changing, uh, taking advantage of? Well, um, you know, it is, uh, it is a very difficult moment in publishing. We are having great success in some areas, um, but not other areas. And I think these are actually marketplace issues and we are trying to figure out ways that we can use our special and unique superpowers to correct them. So um, I'm primarily thinking here about how hard it is to publish fiction right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our big hits the last few years have been these kind of uh, crashed books that we're doing about politics. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just uh, resistance books, basically. Uh, it's it's almost a kind of modern day pamphleteering, um, and I, and we're trying to figure out is there a way to apply some of the things we've been successful with there that we've learned there to the marketing of of fiction that will make it sell better, um, because fiction is just as important as nonfiction today, maybe more important than at other times in recent history, um, given the political situation. So that's a, it's a real dilemma for us and something we're really putting our heads on a lot, uh, our heads together on a lot, because um, 
it seems that the people who are coming into even independent bookstores these days, they want either total escapism, so I think genre sales are probably up, mm -hmm. uh, or they want politics. Um, they don't want anything in between or other. And so that's, that's the challenge of the moment. And I see that staying around for a while because Trump isn't going to go away. And even when he goes away, there's going to be an aftermath that's uh, really absorbing and uh, kind of suck all the, the juice out of the cultural conversation. Um, so this is, this is an ongoing project. Right. So really, for, for in some ways, for you guys at Melville, the, the excitement of the future is the brainstorming of it, right? Like the how-to, what can we do, that side of things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll, give, I'll give you an example. In 2008, when, this, when you know, the world collapsed, the financial world collapsed, um, we were sitting around our conference table at Melville House. It was a smaller company then. There was probably five or six of us at that table. And trying to figure out, well, what, what do we do here? How do we, what's the book about this moment that we can crash? And, you know, we ran through the possibilities and we decided, well, you know, every financial writer and journalist uh, and economics prof is going to be rushing out books now. So we should think differently about what we're going to do. And then somebody said, well, wouldn't it be nice not to write about, you know, what happened economically, but what this means to real people. Hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, our, um, our uh, managing editor at the time said, you know, we should do a book called What the Fuck Just Happened. <laughs> and I really liked that. And we just started kind of jamming on it. And we eventually decided that the key thing was the author, who, who that it had to be somebody coming from a different, more humanist perspective. And we landed on a guy who was essentially a, uh, uh, not an economist, but more of an anthropologist. And that was a guy named David Graeber. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he was somebody we'd been reading in you know, kind of obscure journals. Uh, he's a very radical thinker. And uh, he'd written some things I'd really liked. and, and uh, editor really liked and so we approached him about writing a book that addressed the economic collapse and uh and this 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 idea of explaining what just happened and he decided to write a full history of the concept of debt and what it meant and you know going back to ancient days and debt forgiveness and yeah and debt not really being related to concepts of currency and you know he came he came in a year or two late and a few hundred thousand words over the assigned length. Um, but he wrote a magnificent book called Debt. Uh, and that has been our biggest selling nonfiction book. So at the end of it all, we didn't, we didn't hit what we thought we were going to hit. We didn't crash a book real quick about the, uh, about the economic collapse that would have affected any kind of change. But we instead came up um, with a total, totally different idea that came completely out of brainstorming. Um, I, I think some very good brainstorming where we really developed a book that had an impact and sold mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to an original idea that probably wouldn't have worked but would have made us feel like we'd done something on a contemporary issue, you know? It yeah. It's been pointless in other ways. <laughs> um, I was going to... Take a real right-hand turn and ask you about 
you know, what worries you about publishing. But I think in some ways you, you've mentioned a few things, you know, fiction and the current climate and Amazon and stuff like that. And, and what I was actually, as you were talking about the brainstorming and coming up with, you know, uh, concepts for books, what sort of popped into my mind was more along a question along the lines of, um, what do you wish that the rest of us just got? You know, what, what do you, the, the rest of us that are doing this publishing thing that we love so much, what do you, what's the thing that you think, I wish everybody just got this? <laughs> that's, an that's an excellent question. Um, I, I, I wish they got that um, the world has changed. I think, I think publishing is still run on a concept that started ending in the 1950s. So true. Um, and has really just run amok. And I mean, I, I think if you look at the big houses, you know, and the big retailers as well, uh, this is particularly true of Barnes and Noble. They, they're just stuck in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. um, and they are not looking at all the, the new things that have happened and developed that we could use just uh to make the world a better place uh uh it, it, it's a deep-seated kind of thing i'm not just i'm not only talking about technology but just re-conceptualizing the business when mm -hmm. valley and i started the company you know it was, was completely an accidental company we had no intention there or, or no idea of starting a publishing company we just had a good book idea and it kind of snowballed so we had to incorporate in order to publish it properly and then once we had a publishing company, we just kept having ideas and we kept going. So there was, there was no intention there. But as we got going, we, we would look at things that people expected us to do and think, well, why in the world would we do that? That's crazy. Um, you know, why would you pay uh, a royalty based on the cover price of a book when nobody's charging the cover price of the book? Um, you know, when we started the company, that was true. Barnes & Noble was... Uh, uh, discounting everything 30%, Amazon was, yeah. you know, discounting everything insanely. Um, and nobody was, you know, you were, everything was hypothetical in the publishing industry. Uh, you were paying real money on, on hypothetical income um, that wasn't happening. And so we started doing royalties based on income. Uh, you know, what does the book really net? And right. we'll give you a, a percentage, which seemed to me like not only logical, but fair. Yeah. Um, you know, an equitable system. But, you know, we're introducing this into a world that is set up with um, authors and agents who have been trained to distrust publishers. So this ancient 500-year-old relationship between the printer of a book and the, and the author um, has all these filters in it now that, that makes it very tense and, and not workable mm -hmm. um, and, and, and a difficult place to to make any even kind of logical change. So, and then you can just step back and see this across the board, you know. Um, you could look at it in retail too. I mean, Barnes & Noble uh, consistently changes their CEO and their COO and their CFO every month or two, it seems like. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, they fired thousands of people who just worked on the floor. Mm -hmm. um, they never changed that middle level at that company and they and that level has been running that company for decades hmm. um they they're, they're not fixing what's broke <laughs> you know? uh and because that that mid-level apparatus uh and i guess the ownership of the company 
uh, still thinks they're in the 1950s and uh, they've just got to get the people to implement their, their ideas and everything will be fine instead of changing their ideas. So it's a very hard world to, to change the ideas in and now especially as the big houses are, are just becoming ossified in this bestseller concept mm. that's going to kill them eventually. Um, it's a totally soulless, uh, brain-dead concept of making books. It's not a concept of making books. It's a concept of making product and money. Um, and, 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 you know, there's, it's such an unhappy lot in there. And the, and the nature of the people that are working in Midtown, I say in there because I'm sitting in Brooklyn and that's why yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I'm in Midtown. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, the, they're attracting a different kind of person now. There's still, a, you know, this is still a glamour kind of industry. There's still a lot of yeah. young, really well-off, uh, Ivy League young people that could go off and make a fortune as an attorney, but they want to be a, an editor, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty pretty wonderful. But a lot of those people, I mean, I'm not fond of the Ivy Leagues, but I think that that's a wonderful impulse, and that's always kind of been at the at the soul of the business. But I think a lot of those people are being replaced um, by just you know bean counter kind of attitudes. People that want to make money expect really big. Oh salaries etc yeah um and it's it's not really working i mean we've got a uh where's we've got the small staff 15 people and two of them came over from simon and schuster after the milo Indianapolis yeah. fiasco oh, they just couldn't right. take yeah. it and they just quit and they wanted to work for a company that had a soul yes um so you know this is what's happening in, in big publishing and i i don't see how they're going to reverse it really um it's, it's too far down the line but that said, uh, you know, a lot of smaller publishers use that same model um, and they still run the same way. Yeah. They still pay cover price royalties. They don't do any kind of innovative thinking about contracts and, and the setup of the business. We'll always be stuck with returns, which is just insanity. Yeah. <laughs> just insanity. We're, we're, we're working in a consignment business, essentially, thanks yeah. to returns. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're, they're, this, the sense of gravity in the business is, uh, is a very, uh, there's a very thin sense of, of an actual gravity. Hmm. Um, and I, I am disappointed often that a lot of my fellow small publishers don't, don't do that kind of innovative thinking. Yeah. Um, they just kind of want to do what the big houses do, except they want to do it smaller and be in charge and somehow make money. Um, I think you're, uh, I mean, you're, Essentially, you just gave us all a call to action, right? I mean, the, your, your, <laughs> the one thing that you wish people, we all knew was that the world has changed. And if we're not listening to that as smaller uh, publishers and saying, yeah, we shouldn't be doing what the big publishers are doing. We should be doing what, what we can to innovate and change. That seems like a great right. call to action from you for us. So, I, boy, I hope everybody listens and, and takes that in. <laughs> Well, you know, one one area where we put our money where our mouth is um, was uh, in thinking about digital books and digital media. Um, so it seems to me that uh, ebooks was a wonderful opportunity that everybody muffed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was an idea that big publishing and big retail took over where they were essentially like conceptualizing it as a Xerox of a book, another format of a book that they can sell that had lower production costs. <laughs> and they weren't thinking about it 
you know, it was, it was great. We can close the warehouse. We can fire those employees. It's so economical. Um, but they weren't thinking about, well, this is amazing. We just developed a new format of, of print media. Um, and every time historically there's been, uh, you know, and some kind of technological advance in print media, new forms of art have been created, you know, um, you know, when they figured out how to bind pages in sequence, the novel was essentially born. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so there was no kind of excitement or grasping of, of this as, as a, anything other than a, a, a capitalist's dream. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it could have been a great, a great moment where the industry tried to think of, well, what can we do with this that we can't do with, uh, you know, an actual physical book? Mm -hmm. um, what are the advantages here? And I think, you know, textbook, the textbook industry could have been revolutionized and, and terrifically improved but it just um, and things whole, like that it speaks to your whole point about the world has changed right and yet publishing is still run on the old ideas so i mean well exactly but i mean that was exciting you know we took we have um uh, a series we published called the art of the novella mm -hmm. these are small beautiful little editions of classic novellas mm -hmm. and we had the idea of you know, we were in a lot of the titles in the series. Um, you know, it's a public domain series. It's Tolstoy and Chekhov, and so yeah. forth, and yeah. and and um, uh, a lot of it is public domain stuff. That you know, why would you buy the Melville House edition instead of the Penguin edition? So we were we were sitting around brainstorming about this idea and trying to come up with, you know, how could we get our brothers and sisters in independent bookstores to say, oh, you want Melville House's edition of Bartleby the Scrivener mm -hmm. because it's better than the than Penguin edition. What, what could we do that would, would help the booksellers to sell our books? Um, which is something I like to do. You know, I like to think about the partnerships of the ecosystem here. Mm -hmm. um, and so jamming on that, um, one of the staffers uh, came up with the idea of making a, a, a companion book, companion digital book that would go with the print book. So if you bought the print book, you've got the companion digital book for free. Yeah. And that would, that would allow us to do a lot of things we couldn't do in print, we started realizing. We could have color art, for example. That would be, right. you know, the, the, the cost would be prohibitive to print, but not to put in a, in a digital book. Um, and so I, we started warming to the idea and the guy who kind of was the first guy to, to, to say that, you know, we said, well, let, let, let's put one together and see what it'll look like. So he, he, he picked Bartleby the Scrivener and, um, our idea was, you know, well, there were two things to consider. How do we read digitally different than we read print? And how do we read digital differently than we read print? And um, what what should the content, the, the companion book, uh, what should the content of the companion book be? So we decided to think about just how you read. So when I read a really good book, and, and you know, say the first time I read some classic book, and, it, and you really like it, and it gets excited, and you don't want the experience to end. So <laughs> what do you do? Uh, probably you look up something about the book. You look up 
well, who was this mm-hmm. guy? When, who wrote this? Who, who was this woman? Uh, when did they live? Where did, what were they like? What, you know, just you're interested in their biography yeah. or you're interested in the place where the book is set or you're interested in some conceit that's essential to the book. Um, so we started adding material along those lines. So for Bartleby the Scrivener, we added, you know, biographical stuff about, uh, about Melville. We added some great color portraits of him so you would know what he looked like. Mm-hmm. And then we started running further with the idea. We ran some of his correspondence that he wrote while writing Bartleby. Turned out some of that correspondence was the famous writers like Hawthorne. So we, we ran their responses. He talked about the philosophy he was reading at the time, which I believe was Kierkegaard. So we, we printed some of that in this uh, additional book. And then we started thinking about, you know, so now we've got the biography covered. Well, then we started thinking about the location of the book. So we ran, you know, maps of uh, the Wall Street area in the 1850s, when and where the book took place. We ran uh, pictures of, of Wall Street from the, from the time, what it looked like. And we kept going. We ran... Um, a newspaper ad from an 1850s newspaper for Scrivener. Uh, We ran uh, some criticism of the book. Turns out that um, uh, Alex de Tocqueville uh, wrote a review of Melville. Uh, He hated Melville, (laughs) so we ran the review. Um, We ran the recipe for ginger nuts, the things that Bartleby is eating in the book. I guarantee you, for a 100 years, Nobody knew what a ginger nut was. And as it, turn, it turned out, knowing what a ginger nut is would alter your reading experience because a ginger nut turns out to have been um, something that the, the bakeries of the day, at the end of the day, they would just sweep what was on the floor, the crusts and things on the floor into a vat and, uh, and collect that. And at the end of the week, they would throw a bunch of ginger into that. Uh, to kill, you know, so that it didn't mold or anything, and they would fry it up and sell it to poor people. It was the first, you know, Cheetos or crap food of the day, and so that's what Bartleby was eating. He was sitting at his desk eating Cheetos, Wow! and it just gives you a whole new sense of the pathos of the story, and so I loved this whole idea that this guy came up with uh, for us. Uh, He was our marketing director, and we 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 used QR codes yeah. to figure out, you know, so the question now is, well, how do you make this an additional, an add-on to the book? How do you do that? So at the back page of the book, we would have a QR code and you could just scan that and you would get the book or you could, you know, we'd give you the URL or even the phone number. You could call us and we'll send you the PDF. <laughs> um, and so we did that, we, uh, that idea for a long time. And, um, you know, just expanded into other areas that were very interesting. We did a series of five novellas called The Duel. Um, dueling was a big part of, you know, 18th and 19th century literature. Yeah. And uh, so we did five, five different stories of that. Let's say it was Casanova, um, Conrad. Oh, I can't even remember everybody now. <laughs> and, um, and we had a big digital book about dueling with the various uh, duelos, uh, the, the codes of, of conduct for dueling from different countries and lots of great artwork about dueling and so you know i thought this was just a terrific terrific add-on value to these books and uh turned out to be useful for um you know for academics and stuff as well so it was it was just a good idea that came out of brainstorming about 
how can we take advantage of this new format that's been developed? Wow. Um, and that's the sort of thing that nobody in the industry did. You know, we just, uh, just nobody really, really tried to do anything unique with that. Um, and the other thing to me about the project that was interesting was it was real science of reading stuff, you know, um, because you would sit down and read the book the way you read a book in sequence uh, to the end of the book. But you would read these, these uh, uh, complement, uh, the complementing material. You would just, you would read it the way you read on a screen, you know, you'd scan it, uh, you'd jump around and read certain parts first and then go back and read the other stuff. And um, so for me, just as we did it, it was, it's kind of interesting to contemplate the the idea that reading uh, the way we read is actually changing. You know, and that's that really is something that uh, we in the the academic side of things is, are really dealing with as well right now. It's just kind of you know how people interact with with the uh, the words and the content and the ideas. So things to learn mm -hmm. from, from you there as well, Dennis. I am probably the stupidest person alive because I did not schedule six hours to talk to you, and I should have done because. This is fascinating, um, but unfortunately, I, I, I don't. I, yeah, I have to. <laughs> I have to cut us short. Um, That's okay. You, believe me, I think we. I could have listened to you talking about the the, the book world for a lot longer. But I just, please, no. I, I truly appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some of your uh, uh, your wisdom and ideas and thoughts. And yeah, uh, thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure.